Welcome to China Perspectives, a podcast on economic and credit developments in China, featuring experts from within and outside of Fitch Ratings. My name is Ying Wang, head of APAC Energy and Utilities, and China Research Initiatives at Fitch Ratings. Today, I'm pleased to introduce my colleague, Charles Zhang, director of China Industrials Corporate Team at Fitch Ratings in Hong Kong. Charles joined Fitch in 2017, and his primary coverage is China's industrial sectors, including manufacturing, engineering and construction, metals and mining, and basic materials. He is the lead analyst on a number of large state-owned construction companies, including China State Construction, China Railway Group, Power Construction, Corporation of China, Shanghai Construction, among others. Prior to Fitch, Charles was a sell-side equity research analyst. Charles, thank you very much for taking the time to join the podcast. Thank you, Ying, for having me. Why don't we start with your credit outlook on China's construction sector over the next 12 months? Because year-to-day, China's economic recovery has been weaker than expected. Despite a rebound of new home sales earlier in the year, the property market has fallen back into deep stress since the start of the second quarter. This has translated into a weaker-than-expected recovery of construction activity as well, as we can see from the fall in the construction sector purchasing manager index, PMI, during the same period. While China's infrastructure investment growth is more resilient, which provides some degree of counter-cyclical support for construction activity, it's not enough to fill the gap. So what can we expect from here? Yeah, basically at this moment, uh, we still have a neutral outlook for China's construction sector. So this is based on several observations and expectations. First, infrastructure investment growth. Although it has moderated from last year, it is still growing at around 9% in the first eight months of 2023. In sub-segments like power utilities, growth exceptionally strong over 20%. This provided a much-needed support for China's economic growth and is the key driver for construction activities in the first eight months of this year. Secondly, various metrics of construction sector, including uh, construction output, construction value added, new contracts, and backlog, although they have slowed down a bit, in general are still growing in the first half of 2023. And as you mentioned, the Construction uh, Purchasing Managers Index indeed has weakened from last year, but it remains above 50%, which is still in the uh, expansionary territory. Last but not least, Chinese government's uh, policy stance remains supportive of construction sector. For example, we see that local governments have accelerated their bonds issuance in the recent months, Relevant central and the local authorities have also uh, eased mortgage rules and uh, relaxed housing purchase restrictions in several cities. Also, PBOC, the monetary policy, they have been lowering interest rates. So these are also quite supportive for investment activities in general. Looking ahead, we may not really see material uh, improvement in construction activities caused the weakness in property sector and the moderated infrastructure investment. But we also do not really expect things to become much worse in the short term. 
residential property is likely to remain on drag on construction sector in the coming months, as it may take quite some time for the uh, supportive policies to take effect. And also, the broad infrastructure investment as a key instrument for government to support the economy may continue to be a driver for construction sector, although at a slower pace. Traditional projects may not really grow as fast as in the past, but new types of infrastructure projects like uh, renewable energy and also uh, energy storage facilities, these type of projects will provide fresh opportunities for construction companies. However, this is not saying that there's really no downside risk for construction sector. So let's say if property sector weakens further for an extended period of time and uh, local government finance, their funding also deteriorates further. And uh, this may lead to a sustained decline in fixed asset investment in general. Uh, then uh, we may have to reevaluate the situation. In addition to what I just talked about, uh, I think another important point is that we believe Chinese construction sector is now going through a period of consolidation and transition. We expect further divergence in Chinese construction companies' credit profiles in the near term. Private-owned enterprises uh, in construction sector, which are more vulnerable to the ongoing property stress due to their reliance on residential projects and the private developers, they are likely to see shrinking market shares, or maybe some of them uh, will even exit the market. Uh, on the other hand, state-owned enterprises especially those central SOEs, because they have higher exposure to infrastructure projects in general, and they are likely to gain more market shares at the expense of uh, private enterprises. And uh, these SOEs will see their market positions strengthen further in the coming years. That's a very insightful summary of your credit outlook. Thanks, Charles. I'd like to follow up a little bit more on infrastructure projects. Um, you mentioned that the large state-owned construction companies are enjoying a larger market share in this segment. How does a shift towards infrastructure projects impact the construction company's business and financial risk profiles? Indeed, as a result of this uh, cooling property market, Chinese construction companies now have to increasingly rely on infrastructure projects, as well as other non-property-driven projects for growth. We believe that shift is likely to lead to like two major changes in the sector. First one, we may see widening market share gap between SOEs and POEs. And secondly, competition is likely to intensify among SOEs in construction market. So infrastructure projects uh, in general are mostly sponsored by governments as public goods. They are typically more uh, demanding in terms of engineering and the construction capabilities, as well as funding requirements. The construction period of infrastructure projects is also generally longer than residential housing projects. Therefore, we believe state-owned enterprises, which have closer ties with governments, they have some track record in building large-scale and challenging projects. They have unrivaled construction qualifications, and also they have very strong access to funding they will grab more market shares from POE. 
And uh, on the other hand, we will see POEs with shrinking market shares. They will more likely to work as subcontractors or providing only like uh, those specialized services to central SOEs or SOEs in general. In addition to that, as overall pace of investment slows and the gross prospects of infrastructure projects diverge, competition among SOEs will also intensify. SOEs that have relatively high residential housing exposure will have to look for growth opportunities in infrastructure and non-residential markets. Within the infrastructure market, uh, as growth prospects are diverging, construction firms will have to seek growth opportunities outside their traditional areas of expertise. For instance, you know, those state-owned enterprises, especially the central ones, they all have their own niche market, for example, in power, energy, railways, or in highways. So some of them are strong in certain projects, will have to enter into a different market for growth. As a result, we see that credit profiles between like smaller POE contractors and large SOE construction firms will diverge further with weaker engineering capability and funding access. Those smaller private-owned enterprises will find it increasingly difficult to win uh, new projects. Their credit profiles, as a result, will likely to weaken further with a shrinking market share. In contrast, large-scale SOEs, especially those central SOEs, will gain uh, more market shares, and we will see further industry concentration towards state-owned enterprises. There's no doubt that China's construction sector is going through a profound transformation to adapt to the country's shift in the economic structure and growth trajectory. Um, so what are the common transition strategies adopted by Chinese construction companies? Yeah, the transition strategies really um, differs across different types of construction companies. And uh, that also depends on the resources available to the construction companies. So I think here we will focus on uh, two major types of transition strategies. Uh, one is diversification. The other is integration. So first, diversification means companies diversifying into new areas of strong growth. So this is uh, one of the most common strategies construction companies have used. As we mentioned previously, many of the construction firms have already stepped out of their traditional areas of expertise, and they have entered into new markets with stronger growth. However, it is not so easy to cross over into a different territory. Uh, you will need the right qualifications, technical know-hows, and the right talents. For instance, it is much easier for a railway construction company to tap into subway construction market, given that there are a lot of similarities between these type of projects. So for power and energy construction company, they can also apply their expertise in conventional power facilities construction into building new energy projects or like those energy storage projects. Secondly, integration. Integration means integrating along the value chain of construction services. So the leading Chinese construction firms, which are mostly state-owned enterprises, have transformed from simple contractors into more sophisticated, integrated platforms covering full life cycle of projects from investment, financing, survey design to construction and operation. This strategy uh, widens construction companies' service coverage, 
add more revenue and profit sources, and most importantly, increase their chances of winning project mandates. In the past decade, we have seen leading construction companies actively adopting this strategy, which has led to a rapid buildup of investment-driven projects, including build transfer, build operate transfer, and the PPP projects in their project portfolios. However, this is a more demanding strategy than uh, diversification, as it not only requires technical capabilities and talents, but it also requires a lot of capital inputs. So only those large-scale construction companies with strong funding access are able to adopt this strategy. As a result, it's, it's not so difficult to tell that, again, central SOEs are the most well-positioned ones to use both of the two transition strategies in this ever-evolving and challenging market. Aside from a slowing economy, the construction industry also faces a few long-term structural challenges. For example, China's population aging is accelerating, with the new birth rates dropping at a precipitous rate. The younger generation from rural areas don't really want to do traditional construction jobs. It becomes more and more expensive to hire experienced workers, and energy transition is putting pressure on construction companies, asking them to use more environmental-friendly materials and make the work process more energy efficient. And all of this will potentially increase costs for construction companies. Um, and new technology, including artificial intelligence, could increase productivity, but on the other hand, it requires capital for R&D investment. So are you seeing any of these longer-term structural challenges playing out and having an impact on Chinese construction companies yet? And how, in your opinion, the Chinese construction companies may address these challenges? You're absolutely right, Ying. In China, construction sector is still considered, in general, a labor-intensive industry. It has benefited a lot from China's abandoned labor supply in the past 20 to 30 years. Official data show that construction sector is the uh, second largest employer of uh, migrant workers in China. Over 50 million migrant workers working in construction sector in 2022. This is only behind the manufacturing sector's 81 million. However, the number of migrant workers employed by construction companies has been decreasing in the past decade. Migrant workers in the ENC sector fell by 14% to around 52 million by end of 2022 from the peak level of 61 million in 2014. Meanwhile, the average monthly salary of these workers in the construction sector has increased by over 60% in 2014 to 2022. On the other hand, migrant workers are also rapidly aging with fewer young people willing to join the workforce, adding pressure on the supply of working age labor force to construction sector. We see that industrialization and digitalization as the two major way out for construction companies to address the issue of rising labor costs and aging labor force in China. Construction industrialization 
includes that the standardization, prefabrication, and the modularization of construction works. In fact, uh, many leading Chinese construction companies have already adopted a key industrialization method, which is called Modular Integrated Construction, or MIC, in their projects. With modules being manufactured in a factory off-site and then shipped to the construction site for installation and assembling in a certain place, this technology, MIC, can significantly shorten construction cycle. This piece of technology has been applied in building quarantine facilities and emergency hospitals during the COVID pandemic, as well as in many other scenarios in the housing sector. The adoption of this type of MSC technology or prefabricated buildings, they significantly cut on-site labor intensity. They transform migrant workers into skilled industrial workers who will be more involved in the manufacturing of components or modules off-site and then assemble them on-site. Secondly, uh, digitalization, which is another transformation that construction companies are rapidly uh, adopting. With the uh, development of 5G technology, AI, and the Internet of Things, etc., construction companies have quickened their progress of digitalization, building information modeling, which is shortened as uh, BIM, BIM, smart construction site management, and other types of uh, automation of a human process have greatly enhanced efficiency throughout each of the stages in construction projects, from building materials procurement uh, to inventory management, uh, construction process control, and on-site safety, etc. We expect industrialization and the digitalization of construction sector to substantially reduce the labor reliance of construction companies, improve their cost control, and increase support their profitability in the future. This may be or may not be a surprise that actually in 2022, six out of the top 10 Asia-listed companies with the highest spending on research and development are actually central SOEs from construction sector, includes China State Construction, China Railway Group, and China Communications Construction. So their R&D expenditures are actually even higher than the leading Chinese electric vehicle company, BYD. That's very surprising and interesting indeed. My last question for you today is about construction companies' overseas business opportunity. The Chinese state-owned construction companies have been a major participant in Road and Belt initiatives. In addition, as domestic economic growth slows down, there is expectation that overseas emerging markets may present new growth opportunities for Chinese construction companies, such as the Middle East and Southeast Asia. What's your observation on the sector's overseas business opportunity? Yes, due to the pandemic, rising geopolitical tensions and uh, flowing economic growth in certain developing markets, Chinese construction companies' overseas business has faced some uh, headwinds in recent years. There has been some recovery since 2022, but overseas revenue and contracts growth in general has still weak compared to pre-pandemic levels. So demand in some of the overseas markets have not yet fully returned to pre-COVID levels. But we believe that overseas expansion is still very key to the sustainability of Chinese construction companies' growth in the longer term. 
as domestic demand for construction services slows due to the property downturn. Belt and road initiative countries are still the focus, given that there is rising demand for basic infrastructures there, and they are also more welcoming towards Chinese investment and Chinese companies in general. This year is the 10th anniversary of Belt and Road Initiative, and China will soon host a summit in Beijing in October. We may see some new initiatives or uh, agreements are being signed, which may help Chinese companies to expand their business in these Belt and Road countries. Uh, in terms of specific regions, Southeast Asia and the Middle East are likely to be the key growth markets in the coming years. With the implementation of RCEP, Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, and U.S.-China trade tensions, Southeast Asian countries have become an important destination for manufacturing industries relocating away from China. In addition to basic infrastructures, including transportation and energy, the demand for industrial facilities, like industrial parks and other uh, supporting facilities, may provide opportunities for Chinese construction companies in Southeast Asia. Additionally, Middle East is another key regional market. Countries like Saudi Arabia and uh, UAE, uh, they are making substantial investments in housing and infrastructures in recent years. Saudi Vision 2030, a grand plan launched by the Saudi government, aims to diversify the country's economy away from oil with trillions of dollars of new investment in various programs and infrastructures will also provide abundant opportunities for Chinese construction companies. In fact, we have already seen Chinese state-owned enterprises uh, winning contracts in Saudi Arabia. In terms of specialized areas of projects such as railways, highways, urban rail transit, steel plants, conventional power, as well as renewable energy projects, we believe Chinese state-owned enterprises have substantial room to grow their market shares given their strong expertise, their cost advantages, and their strong funding access. These are something that their international peers do not really enjoy. Besides the set opportunities, risks in certain markets have also increased due to slowing economic growth and the sovereign debt problems. In response, Chinese companies have become more selective on markets and accordingly reduced their exposure to countries with higher operating risks. Lastly, a major challenge I want to mention here to Chinese construction companies overseas expansion is that the talent's acquisition and retention. As living standards and the composition in China have improved considerably in the past few years, employees have less incentives to work in overseas markets, especially in developing countries. At the same time, localization is not an easy task and it takes time and resources to acquire sufficient number of qualified talents in local markets outside China for all these key positions. So how to find the qualified talents internally with the right skill sets and who are willing to work for longer period in overseas markets has become an issue for many of the Chinese contractors. Thank you very much, Charles, for your interesting observations and insight on the Chinese construction sector. This sector historically has been very highly correlated with the property market. 
Not surprisingly, it is experiencing profound challenges at the moment, but it is encouraging to hear many of them are actively exploring transition strategies. No doubt that the sector will undergo significant changes in the coming years. Again, thanks for sharing with the audience the latest trends in the sector and your analysis of the risks and opportunities presented to the companies. You have been listening to Fitch Ratings China Perspectives podcast. To learn more about our ratings and research on China, visit us at FitchRatings.com. Please subscribe to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Take care until next time.